Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today for episode 146, my guest is Will Cole, CPO of Unchained Capital, and we're talking about Bitcoin native financial services. But first, a word for the sponsors of the show. So the Stefan Levera podcast is brought to you by Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. They're known for their focus on security with Kraken Security Labs, focusing not just on their own security, but also the security of their peers and other partners in the industry. Kraken offer a high quality platform with high trading volume and low fees. They also offer 24-7 support, so it's easy to quickly sign up and get any questions answered if you've got them. Kraken recently released the Kraken Pro mobile app delivering all the security and features you love about the Kraken Exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. Kraken also offer an OTC desk for those seeking more private and personalized service for large block trades of 100,000 USD or more. Don't forget this Kraken margin up to five times and futures up to 50 times leverage. Go and sign up at kraken.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with financial freedom and control. Unchained Capital make use of multi-sig as a foundation in their service, and their approach to collaborative custody gives users some control over their private keys, while also giving you a financial partner and financial services. Unchained offer two of three multi-signature vaults. You can use Trezor and Ledger, and you can secure your Bitcoin for the long term using this option. And then if you want to get liquidity in USD, but you don't want to sell, you can use Unchained's collateralized loans, where you can put up some Bitcoin and receive USD liquidity. All that Bitcoin is stored on-chain in dedicated multi-sig addresses, and you can still hold one of three keys in that scenario. Make sure you check out Unchained's excellent series of content, such as Gradually Then Suddenly by Parker Lewis. They've also got a range of open source tools such as Caravan and Hermit. Go and sign up at unchained-capital.com. Next is the Cypher Wheel by CypherSafe at cyphersafe.io. If you've invested in a Bitcoin hardware wallet, are you also keeping that seed backed up? That comes in a BIP39 format and so you need to back it up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof and tamper evident. Look into the cipher wheel. It comes in a wheel shape. It masks the words of your seed unless you open the padlock tamper evidence seal so that you know it's been opened. CypherSafe product is just going out now in early February. Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io. So for this episode, I'm, I recorded this one in person in Austin. I'm here at the Unchained Capital office and I was chatting with Will. We spoke a little bit about learning about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. We spoke about Bitcoin meetups, getting ready for the bull run, Bitcoin and a low deal title. We spoke about some of his work with Wyoming blockchain and also we spoke about Unchained Capital, vaults and loans and this idea of Bitcoin as collateral. Here's the interview. Will, welcome to the show. Stefan, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so, Will, look, I, I know a bit. Uh, I know a bit about you, obviously, but uh, just for the listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, yeah, how you how you got into all this? Yeah. So, a um, bit about myself here. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I've been my my Bitcoin story, as it were, uh, starts in 2011, um, and it's really all due to my older brother uh, Napoleon, who. I, I think the earliest evidence I have in our email conversations is around April of 2011. <clears throat> correct me if I'm, you know, someone can correct me out there if I've uh, said otherwise, uh, but I think that's about right. 
And um, really, it starts in New York City, um, sitting on the 36th floor of an apartment that um, overlooked the Federal Reserve Building. And so we are, you know, in the throes of, you know, hearing about QE and like the financial crisis and like, you know, kind of getting out of it a little bit. But like, we're seeing all the repercussions of the policies that have been happening. And uh, we're sort of on the back end of, you know, a tough election in the United States. And we start hearing about Bitcoin. And uh, I had an economics background in college and then a technical background from being in a family of programmers. And so I felt like there were, I had a lot of the sort of prerequisite ingredients to understand it early. Even with that, it took me a while yeah. after. So on that, where, give us a little bit of background on your economics. Were you already an Austrian or were you learning about that as well? Uh, in retrospect, I was a fake Austrian at that point. <laughs> Go on, what's yeah. a fake Austrian? Well, I uh, I was an economics major in college and um, figured that there was just economics. I didn't know that there were multiple brands and theories out there. And I got a very classic Keynesian uh, education and figured that was it. And it wasn't until around 2008 that I started learning that there was a little bit of different stuff. And it mostly came through mm. Ron Paul groups, um, things yep. like that. And I read a little bit of Hayek and I read a little bit of Rothbard and those types of things. And I thought I was pretty damn cool. And then uh, it would have been, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit past 2011, past Bitcoin. Um, I meet uh, Saifedean. And uh, I realized that's what a fake Austrian is, is that when I met him, I realized that uh, I had not even begun to scratch the surface and I was a little bit of a phony. Um, so, uh, but that led me down another rabbit hole, made me appreciate even more and um, sort of strengthen my convictions and my knowledge, um, test myself a little bit. And um, it's definitely been a fun journey uh, yeah. outside of just Bitcoin. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good point you make that many people come to learning Austrian economics even though they didn't learn economics at university. They just took it on and they're, they're like a doctor or a lawyer, like Dr. Ron Paul, right? And then they just go and learn Austrian economics because they just find it makes so much more sense to them. So what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was actually kind of disappointing in the sense that I felt like I had been robbed in my education, um, that uh, I, I found it odd that out of all those classes I took, after, after all those things I had learned, I'd never heard the name... Mises, right? Right. Four-year education. Never heard the name. Yeah. Didn't even know he existed. Now, you that could be saying something about myself and my own intellectual curiosity and going out and making something of it myself. But uh, it made me a little bit bitter. I was just like, what did I waste all that time and money for? Um, but um, it didn't really start there. I mean, it starts with, you know, reading Hayek for the first time. It's very accessible. Uh, very, you know, for at least for me, it was like a good introduction into... Um, the Austrian thought and then, you know, going beyond that into praxeology and like sort of understanding human action. Uh, that was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a long journey. It was a hell of a lot shorter than a four year education. But, um, uh, I guess at first I just felt let down and, uh, then mixing that with Bitcoin and my tech background, um, it, uh, it, uh, sort of changed me, changed my personality, changed my interests, um, made me kind of an obsessive person. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but, uh, was, was, was definitely a fun journey to go down. Yeah. And then, so between you and your brother, you, you know, Napoleon mm -hmm. got it first, right? And then he got you into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Napoleon definitely, you know, there's a, there's a world out there where, uh, there are very few people that have secrets, uh, and,
And uh, I've thought about that. That's in, you know, uh, Peter Thiel's Zero to One book. <laughs> he talks about, you know, people that actually have secrets and building, you know, knowledge and companies and off, off the basics of, a basis of these secrets. Um, I only know one person in my life that has real secrets, and that's my brother. And <laughs> Bitcoin was one of those secrets that he brought to me. And it opened up a whole new world for me, a whole new obsession for, you know, going on 10 years now or nine years now. Yeah. Right. And, uh, We've also got to talk about the story with Parker right now. Parker is also at Unchained, and he mm-hmm. was at Unchained before you were. So yeah. let's hear a bit about a bit of that story. As I understand, you got Parker in. Oh yeah, I mean Parker's Johnny come lately here. You know, like <laughs> he's getting all the glory right now. You know, because he's such a fabulous writer and such a you know original first principles thinker. But uh, you know, for a long time there. Uh, you know, he's working at hedge funds, investment banks, uh, not thinking about, you know, the Austrian viewpoint at all. Uh, he was, you know, I wouldn't say dismissive, but at least uninterested in my, you know, many attempts throughout the, you know, early teens to convert him into the Bitcoin world. Um, but no, Parker and I would do, we have like sort of this yearly tradition where we go skiing together and, uh, our house is about an hour from the ski slopes. So I would, uh, we'd drive and listen to podcasts and, um, and then we talk about them afterwards. And a lot of the podcasts that I was interested in listening to in 2014, 2015, 2016 were all about Bitcoin. And so he started to sort of catch on a little bit there. And I would say that I started the fire, um, over three year period there. And then, uh, you know, uh, safe was the closer. <laughs> That's right. And so, how now Safedean was known in the gold world before, you know, all this Bitcoin stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get to meet Safedean and get to know a little bit more about, you know, that perspective on Bitcoin? Yeah, um, it was, I can't remember the exact year. I think it was around 2015, actually. But uh, it would have been through Pierre Richard and Michael Goldstein that uh, I met Safedean online. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about Bitcoin for the most part. And I knew that he was... Of all, of all of the people that I knew, he was the gold guy. And when Parker actually was working at a hedge fund and needed to do um, diligence on a gold company, we had connected him with Safedean. I had an uh, opportunity to talk to him more. He started writing the Bitcoin standard. Uh, we did some you know, notes back and forth. A lot of us did um, uh, in, in his circle of friends. And, um, but he was definitely someone who constantly was pushing my understanding of Bitcoin, why it mattered, uh, what the eventuality of Bitcoin looked like uh, by having a good basis and understanding of Austrian economics and the competition of monies and what makes good sound saleable, you know, uh, money. Right. Yeah. And I think much of you know what is in the Bitcoin standard, there was a lot of hammering out of these ideas in, say, the 2012 and 2013 and mm-hmm. 2014 times when people like, say, Conrad Graf or people like uh, back then Tua de Mista, Peter Serta, and then obviously the Nakamoto Institute, right? So many of the mm-hmm. articles that Daniel Krawis, Michael Goldstein, and Pierre were writing, that I think many of those sort of helped form that understanding. And I think the Bitcoin standard is almost like a summation of many of those ideas, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I would I would say that I see a lot of original thinking in there as well from SAFE. I also see a little bit of Nick Zabo's, you know, or, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, Shelling out. Shelling out, yeah, the origins of money story. I, I see a lot of that in it. And uh, I'd been reading a lot of Zabo's stuff prior to meeting Safe. And um, so it it definitely expanded upon those, you know, short blog posts and things that Zabo was putting out. And uh, I found it extremely compelling, yeah, to yeah. say the least. Yeah, and certainly, and not to, uh, to take anything away from safety, and absolutely, yeah, of course. He, yeah. Uh, the way he would spin it or the way he would... Uh, 
tell the story was also very instructive for many of us, even though we had had been thinking in, along similar lines at the mm-hmm. time. And I think his particular focus, obviously, on stock to flow as well, which is probably the big, uh, not necessarily new contribution, but it was like a he kind of took that idea from the gold world and applied it to Bitcoin in a way that just makes so much more sense. And now everyone's thinking about it, right? The stock to flow part of the book, to me, is really funny because I remember reading it for the first time and thinking like, huh, I never heard about that before. That's that's interesting. And sort of, you know, passing it off and just going on to the next next bit. But I remember it was probably a couple of years later, it's before plan B, you know, all that stuff. Um, thinking back on that and saying like, have I ever heard of this before? Is there any prior right? And I found a couple in the gold world, but it isn't, wasn't even a big deal in that world. Um, I've, uh, I kind of, uh, think that that got, got everything started here that, that we're going through over the past, you know, year, year and a half when it comes to understanding stock to flow or thinking that we understand stock to flow. We'll see if we do. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting part of the book that at first I dismiss it as shown to be kind of prescient now. Yeah. Right. And I think the other thing with that is I saw inklings of that in some of Safety's prior work as well because he was writing some blog posts and he would show things like, oh, here's what the inflation rate is for US dollar versus gold versus Bitcoin. And then just like another way to frame that is just the stock to flow, right? It's just the inverse yeah. of the inflation rate. Yeah. And, you know, from, uh, from the person who's into Austrian economics and you're into Bitcoin and you're just seeing, well, look, the inflation rate for Bitcoin is just going to go so low. Yeah. It's just going to go so much lower than anything else in this world. That just, it just has an appeal. Yeah. Um, You know, along with many other appeals, it's one of the things that, you know, matters most about Bitcoin is that it is finite, that there will only ever be 21 million, and that uh, that inflation schedule eventually reaches zero, and then it's zero forever. Um, In fact, I would, you know, I would argue that, you know, there there are many things that have to combine to make Bitcoin great and interesting and, um, and, probable to succeed but uh if i had to pick one thing it's it's that right it's that it is finite it is um uh and that the inflation schedule gets to zero right yeah uh so look let's talk a bit about uh, some of the early earlier days like bitcoin meetups right so they've moved and shifted over time and you've you've moved around a little bit as well i think as i understand you were born and raised in austin but then you were living and working in new york as mm-hmm. well so can you tell us a little bit about how the meetup bitcoin meetup scene has uh, been in that time yeah yeah absolutely it's great here in austin today um when i first started learning about bitcoin uh it, it just looks so different um at least the groups that I was aware of at the time, uh, bit devs hadn't really started in New York or if it had, I wasn't aware of it and it might've been much smaller. It was more politically based, right? Uh, it was very libertarian. Uh, it was, uh, again, going back to the Ron Paul groups that were in, um, in New York. Uh, there was, you know, the, the thing that people would talk about the most wasn't, you know, a limited supply. It was censorship resistance. Right. And that was the, the cool, the cool thing about right. it. buying drugs and whatever. Yeah. Not, I mean, that that's, not that that you should not you know, do that, but <laughs> that was the focus, you know, I was never buying drugs. I mean, I would never, you know, voluntarily trade my valuable Bitcoin for something like drugs, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you could, you could tell that that was kind of the ethos around it in New York at the time. Uh, the, um, when I started coming to Austin, you could start to see the fracturing happening. Uh, so I came in, uh, 2014, but I started visiting the meetups here, 
um, late 2013, early 2014. You could start to see a little bit of the shit coining happening, a little bit of the fracture of, you know, uh, Bitcoin is special in, in these very, you know, obvious ways versus uh, we have the beginnings of this with blockchain and we're going to build off of that blockchain, not Bitcoin. And you could see that fracturing happening. And by the time I got here in later 2014 and was involved in those a lot, there was, you know, a split in the meetups and it was kind of interesting to see how that happened um, where you had, I guess, a more corporate focus of how do we capitalize on this, you know, blockchain thing that's going nuts. And you had more of the technical and economic focus of, you know, how do we make sure Bitcoin is, um, you know, battle tested and resilient and, and, resilient and, under, and understood really, um, and not get distracted by shiny things over here that uh, don't really matter. Right. Yeah. And so then the, the, there was a bit of a fracturing in the groups and I guess you, you would say some of the groups were more, they were just really more focused on the technical aspects of it, right? Like just that, like how does Bitcoin work at a technical level? And you can go and learn more. Uh, and this is, I've mentioned this before as well. I would love to have a Socratic seminar yeah. uh, in Sydney, but we just don't have, uh, you know, we don't have that level yet. We, I'd love to get us there though. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your experience going to some of those meetups. Yeah. I mean, recently in Austin, um, uh, Justin Moon uh, has sort of kickstarted the, the BitDevs group here. Um, really, I think takes a lot from the BitDevs group in New York that's been wildly successful um, doing the Socratic seminars, having the topics uh, laid out, having a lot of experts that can talk to each topic. Austin has a huge wealth of uh, technical talent, of uh, you know business savvy around Bitcoin, um, and having those things meet here has been... Um, it's just very different from the early days where every day you showed up to a meetup and it was, who are the 10 new people that you need to explain what a UTXO is? To them? <laughs> now that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's nice to see that some of these venues have advanced uh, to where we can get into deeper and deeper topics. And, you know, a place where someone who's been around for nine years, you know, thinking about this stuff can still learn more and humble themselves and figure out that um, they're not as smart as they thought they were like myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's certainly, uh, you know, if you're not a developer yourself, it can be intimidating. But at the same time, it's it's if you just go there and just soak up the knowledge, oh, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's really important in these types of groups to have, you know, at least a couple people that can really uh, uh, talk intelligently to each one of these topics that that's coming up and uh, sort of lead the discussion. But once you have those one or two people you'll find out that there are a lot of technical people that might not be into Bitcoin today that will come and can soak that in pretty quickly and start contributing. And I've seen that happen in Austin. It's kind of exploded. Uh, I think, you know, Justin wouldn't mind me saying the first bit devs was, you know, it was kind of bleak. It was, you know, three or four people were in the library. Uh, you know, we were kind of fumbling our way through it. And now it is, you know, it's a, it's a force. Um, there's new people showing up every single month. Um, it's well organized. The topics are great. We have a lot of expertise in the room. It's not just one person that has to drive it. And, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things that I hope gets replicated, um, in, uh, other places and I'm pretty sure will, I mean, it happened here. It can happen anywhere. Right. Yeah. And so let's talk a bit about then the different structure. So you might have maybe one meetup that's more of a technical focus and then maybe one that's a little bit more softer. Right. So what's your experience? What's, what has your experience been like there? 
what I like uh, about the way Austin's set up right now is we have different venues for, you know, we keep our venues very uh, segregated in the sense that, like, there's a technical venue. There are uh, venues for more newcomers and uh, more basic things. There are venues for friendship and, you know, uh, building relationships and things like that. And I think that it's nice to be able to go to one venue and not have to have that discussion of what is a UTXO for the 900th time, right? But then also go and give your expertise to those more uh, beginner places. Um, having the more advanced venues, at least for me, has been helpful in making this my career. Um, where I'd previously been working at Stack Overflow. I love the place. It's a great product. I felt you know uh, like I was contributing a lot to the world there. But um, as I got deeper and I was exposed to more of the advanced topics in Bitcoin, the advanced uh, engineering that was happening around the space, it gave me more and more interest of actually making this my career instead of just uh, a side thing or yeah. as an investor. Yeah, let's go into that. So you were a VP at Stack Overflow, right? You were in a senior role there. Mm -hmm. And obviously you had this passion for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And you had to make that decision, right? And I think many people do of, do I try to work in Bitcoin or do I just basically mine as much fiat as I can and convert it into Bitcoin, right? What was your thought process there? Yeah, I had that thought process all the way back that I remember in 2012 when I first started at Stack Overflow was that, you know, do I want to take the entrepreneurial route with Bitcoin and start a company? You know, you know, exchanges were popping up all over the place. You know, I could start one. I know how to you know do this stuff. Um, or I could just earn dollars and turn that into Bitcoin. I think the Winklevoss twins had a good quote on this, which was they went through a similar thing is like, do we invest in Bitcoin companies or do we invest in Bitcoin? And they kind of just you know, split it and said, we'll do both. We'll take half our money, buy Bitcoin, take half our money, give it to Bitcoin companies and invest in them. Uh, I took a, a, the approach at the time where um, I wasn't really sure what Bitcoin entrepreneurship looked like. I knew that the on-ramp was important, that getting people Bitcoin was important. I didn't think I was uniquely qualified to provide that service in any way. Um, and uh, after that, I thought, well, there is no other product. It's just Bitcoin. It's a protocol, unless I'm working on the protocol. And I did make some overtures to try to figure out how does, excuse me, someone with my skill set contribute to the Bitcoin core process. I had talked to Steve Lee and John Newberry and some people over the time. I was kind of kidding myself. There wasn't much I could do there. And also, I didn't have the time. I had a full-time job. And, you know, it was very demanding. Um, so for me, it was, you know, you know, earn fiat, buy Bitcoin, get involved in it as much as I can. I did find one outlet before I left Stack Overflow and, and joined Unchained, which was um, going to Wyoming and being involved in the uh, blockchain task force, um, working on passing legislation that would uh, you know, essentially uh, create the most competitive jurisdiction for companies that were dealing with Bitcoin um, and uh, having trouble maybe with the, you know, banking, the U.S. banking system or something like that. Uh, so I had found some avenues for it, but very quickly, it, you know, uh, Parker got me back, which was, yeah. uh, you know, I helped him out at the very beginning. But uh, he uh, fast forwarded and figured out what Bitcoin entrepreneurship looked like. He had uh, met Joe and Drew here at Unchained, uh, the two founders of Unchained Capital. Um, and just like, you know, one day my explanations of Bitcoin clicked for Parker, it kind of clicked for me that if Bitcoin is money, what is the product of money? And that's financial services is that, um, you know, I could draw, I could go up on a whiteboard and say, you know, here's, you know, here's a bank in the fiat world and here's Bitcoin. What things, uh, what services that the debt banks provide does Bitcoin negate? 
And it does a few. It certainly negates several business models like the rehypothecation. You know, everything's built off of that. But the services themselves, a lot of them are still going to be needed. And I looked at that and it just clicked for me. It's like, yeah, financial services. This is where entrepreneurship and Bitcoin sort of collide and where I do have um, some abilities that where I can contribute back to uh, the ecosystem. Um, so that was, that was kind of what clicked uh, for me there. When people first come into Bitcoin, sometimes they they get it twisted a little bit. They think, oh, Bitcoin is anti-banking, whereas I think it's more correct to say Bitcoin is anti-central banking. What's your view there? I, I couldn't have said it better myself, right? Is that, uh, you know, uh, I think it's Pomp's, you know, uh, tagline, you know, uh, long Bitcoin, short the short bankers. The bankers. Yeah. I, I get the ethos of it and, and, and it's funny, but really, you know, Bitcoin replaces a bank the central bank, you know, uh, or many central banks around the world, uh, the issuance of currency, the monetary policy, you know, all banking is still going to exist in some form, um, for institutions, um, uh, even for individuals. Uh, I, I do think that now that doesn't mean it will look the same. There are a lot of things that banks do today that they can't do with Bitcoin or that if you wanted to be successful as a bank in Bitcoin, that you would necessarily want to build more Bitcoin native solutions to things that look uh, the things that look like they do in the fiat world. Um, and to that matter, you know, a good example of that would be <clears throat> one of the things that we do at Unchained is you you give us Bitcoin as collateral, and we give you dollars, right? And one of the cool things is that um, when you take um, take in uh, Bitcoin as collateral, there's a lot of different ways you could do it. If you wanted to mimic the fiat world, you would take that Bitcoin as collateral and you'd start lending it out to try to create interest on top of it. Or if you did it in a Bitcoin native way, one of the things that you could do is allow the person giving you collateral to share in the quorum of keys. Now, they can't have control. It is collateral. Yeah. So, you know. It's not your keys anymore, but you can have a key so you can see, you know, proof of reserves. You can actually do that with uh, Bitcoin, where it's harder to do in a fiat world. Proof of reserves on chain. You can see that we're not doing any funny business with your money. Um, and that's a really interesting relationship to have with your client, um, where you can do that with Bitcoin, where you couldn't do it in the fiat world. And where I think that clients are going to demand uh, the, your sort of posture, your, your financial services posture towards them, your relationship with them, um, is going to have to be different. And so everything, you know, I think about now with the Bitcoin entrepreneurship and the, and the types of products that you build here is how do you do it in a Bitcoin native way? Because if you could do it the same, if you could do the same thing with fiat, I'm not that interested. I want to do it in the way that but where Bitcoin's unique. Right. And it's not just uh, numbers on a screen, right? Because with gold, Whereas many libertarian people, like even maybe someone like Peter Schiff might say, yeah, go buy gold and just trust the gold vault, right? That, that, that they've allocated it for you, right? Yeah. And, and maybe there are some ways to, okay, you might have a third party auditor, whatever, but they might not, it might not be the same thing. It's just not the same when you hold one of the keys. And that's one thing I actually quite like about Unchained, just that it's respecting the ethos of Bitcoin that you are still participating, even if you're not the majority in that quorum, right? So in this in this example, let's say I'm the customer, I'm putting some Bitcoin up with you, I still hold one of those keys, and then the other two keys are held by, you know, one by Unchained, one by the third party yep. agent. And so that's kind of respecting the ethos of Bitcoin, and I think there will be some strong benefits for 
customers in this Bitcoin collateral world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Bitcoin makes great collateral, right? Um, it's a it's uh it's good for it's a good financial service for the holders of bitcoin who you know it, it could be any reason right you could be bitcoin rich and cash poor you could have debt denominated in dollars that you want to take care of you could want to buy more bitcoin you know there are lots of reasons to want to do this but um bitcoin makes really good collateral we we enter into a relationship with our client that is unlike most banking relationships where they get to um you know, where we are, we have greater accountability towards them, right? And they get more information about our relationship because we've built this in a very specific way where they get to look at the address, see if the Bitcoin's moving, see if it's being rehypothecated. Not that like all rehypothecation, you know, of all time will be necessarily a terrible thing, but at least right now, I don't know how to do it well. And um, that this is the type of relationship that I really value with our customers. It puts them in the driver's seat of understanding what is happening with their asset yeah right uh and i think i like this theme of bitcoin as collateral other people have spoken about it guys like toy demista has spoken about it uh trace mayor has spoken about it uh one thing that we could try to this is a new thing that we're dealing with right and if we believe that bitcoin is like an elodial money it's 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 like a claim on which nobody else can override that mm-hmm. there there's there's a case that bitcoin will be the best collateral and in that world maybe uh from a credit perspective mm-hmm. the people will prefer to hold bitcoin as collateral and because of that all other things considered they might uh charge a lower interest rate potentially what's your view there like longer term well i think eventually that's true uh right now it might not be true uh but you know we're still in the early days is that eventually yeah i mean i I think of it in terms of liquidity is that bitcoin it is liquid you know you your house's collateral isn't necessarily a very you know liquid asset you see this in foreclosures and the inability to sell or recoup your uh, investment you know by foreclosing on a house uh, you know i have friends that work in commercial real estate or or industrial real estate which right now in the united states is very very hot but in an economic downturn you know you own a building in a desert in new mexico like shoot that's not very liquid in that, yeah. in that case but bitcoin is and um i think that it has those properties that make it fantastic collateral um and uh because of its liquidity uh it's going to be something that institutions are more and more comfortable with holding on their balance sheet or um uh, or otherwise yeah it is in in some on some part speculative in that way we believe in the future you know we believe it's going to be moving on that pathway to being global money and the best collateral and then if you believe that well then then that's the natural corollary is it becomes uh, it 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 becomes the more demanded thing and as opposed to let's say we've been through a big speculative bubble in let's say dot com or housing then at the time that at the precise time that all the banks are trying to you know get uh, to sell the underlying uh sell that collateral to you know to uh make themselves whole is often the worst time for that asset because everyone's trying to sell at the same time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in a, you know, I, ideal world there where, 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 where if people are moving towards Bitcoin, then that's a different story because it's, it's just, it's just money. Certainly. Yeah. And you know, right now, you know, you could say that like Bitcoin is, you know, volatile to the extent where it's not the best collateral, like literally today, but yeah, I mean, if we're right, um, 
then we're not that we're not that far from uh, you know Bitcoin's volatility smoothing out over time. Uh, it starts to get that those properties of yeah the best collateral that you could hope for. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so let's talk a bit about the unchained offering then. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I'm you know the sponsor of the pod. I advertise for you guys, yeah. um, but you know, let's talk about the the vault model and uh, kind of what the interface of that looks like, mm-hmm. um, so that people get a feel of you know what does that look like uh, compared to like a normal banking thing that they would use. Oh yeah, it's so different. Uh, and uh, I guess I'll start with this, which is um, uh. The way Unchained is set up right now is uh, at the heart of it is multi-sig, native Bitcoin multi-sig. And uh, we employ something that we're calling collaborative custody in order to uh, um, define the sharing of keys in a multi-sig quorum. And uh, what makes it so special is that, you know, right now, today, you know, some people might have a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. They're fine uh, storing that in a uh, custodial sense on Coinbase or Gemini or Zappo or Anchorage or something like that. Um, or they have um, a, a Trezor single sig uh, hardware device. But uh, as many people have gone through in the past, those low holdings turn into big holdings eventually. And uh, what is the next logical step for people to take when all of a sudden their couple hundred dollars are thousands of dollars or where their thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands, millions and so on. And uh, I firmly believe that multi-sig is that path forward. And the way that we're doing it right now is um, when you become an unchained customer, a vault customer with us, is we do two of three multi-sig. Um, you have two different options. One option is a sort of self-sovereign option where you hold two keys and we hold one as a backup, uh, a backup or as a co-signer. And in this scenario, you're completely sovereign. Uh, what you're giving up is that we know the balance of your of your vault. Um, however, we can't move funds unilaterally. We only have one key and a two of three multi-sig. Um, you have both other keys, so you can move spend, do whatever you want there. Um, however, you might want to use that in different ways. You might want to assign yourself every time, keep both of your keys, um, you know, uh, geographically near each other so that you can do transactions daily, weekly, monthly, or you could put one key in deep storage and use us as a cosigner, um, whenever you want to do a transaction. Um, if you lose one of your keys, you can get us to co-sign, sweep your funds, create a new vault um, with a new two or three quorum. Um, so there's uh, some redundancy there. There's uh, some services that come with that as well with us as a co-signer. Um, and it is, a, in my view, a much safer way to store especially large quantities of Bitcoin than, say, in a fully custodied manner or um, uh, in a single sig um, situation. I would elaborate on this to say, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it just depends on how much you uh, have and um, and how many secure physical locations you have access to. There are a lot of different ways to do this. But, you know, the best case scenario I can think of is uh, if you're doing the self-sovereign option and you have two keys and we have one, that you would have four secure locations, one for each of your hardware devices, one for each of the backups. Uh, we would you know, uh, be another backup or co-signer for you, and uh, you would be in a much, much safer position uh, for a lot of the attack vectors, whether that's plunder. <laughs> you know, if, you, if someone steals one key of yours or gets access to one key of yours, they can't move funds. We have time to recover and move it into an, another uh, safer quorum. Um, uh, for 
loss. Um, we're always there to back up for advice that you would like from experts at our at, at our um, company or for co-signing where you want to keep something you know in deep deep cold storage and just have one of your devices um, uh, ready to sign. Uh, I think that's a really attractive thing. It attracted me to this company. Um, and in the other way, the other thing I'd like to you know explain about our system is that uh, we also want to make sure that you know you're successful and, and sovereign without us. So we've spent a lot of time investing in open source. Uh, we built a product called Caravan that allows you to do spins outside of our system. So for any reason, uh, maybe you don't have access to our website. Maybe we're down. You know, For whatever reason, we're not available. You could always take your information, your keys, go to something like Caravan. You could also use Electrum or something like that. But we wanted to contribute to that space and uh, built Caravan specifically for this so you can spend outside of our ecosystem. And so in practice, that will look like, I guess, just walking that through for a, you know, just an individual. Mm-hmm. They'll have their two hardware wallets and they might have like a crypto steel or a bill fuddle or a cipher wheel or one of those kinds of metal backups, right? Yeah. And so they might say they might do one Trezor, one Ledger and like, you know, uh, those steel backup type devices, yeah. right? And they would they could keep maybe one device at home, mm-hmm. but then keep the other device in like a safe or in like a in a vault somewhere, mm-hmm. and then uh, the the metal backups can be kept in in again different, different vaults places, and different yeah. safety deposit boxes wherever wherever you you know would like, or maybe you'd keep one with a family member or something like mm-hmm. that, and then that's kind of their model, and then their day to day operation is you know logging in on the unchained site, and then they can you know choose to you know withdraw uh, draw like to you know have a new address to receive to mm-hmm. uh, and so on or you know, if you're spending out of it, although obviously this is this is to do more with your kind of long-term holding stacks. So yeah. You theoretically aren't doing too many transactions, but it's more of a, this is how you can monitor and manage your kind of long-term holding yeah. uh, for the, in a, in a more secure way. And I think the other point that you were touching on is interesting as well is, look, right now, as we record this today, the price is what, 9,000 USD, something like that, Somewhere roughly. Right if you, you know, let's say we hit another bull run we don't know. It could five times. It could ten times. How should people think through their security as that occurs? Yeah, I mean, it hits you like a ton of bricks, right? You know, all of a sudden, what you're what you're holding on to is, is you know, hey, Plan B. You know, hundred trillion. Uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin lo- is a very very different world that we're living in, and everyone's security posture that they have to second guess what they're doing, whether that's that they're on a fully custodied model, you know, with, with Coinbase or they have a single SIG Trezor or something like that. You have to start thinking, am I doing as much as I can to secure what is now an incredibly, you know, uh, an incredible amount of money and value. And, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, that when that hits people, like what I want them to at least know is an option for them is that multi-sig is something that is battle tested. It is something that um, has good thought and reasoning behind it. Why you can, um, uh, why, why you will be in a safer position, but also why um, you don't have to give up some of the, the Bitcoin native sort of uh, things that make it great. Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Multisig, you can still hold the keys. It's still possible to do. It's not very hard, right? Instead of one treasure, you have two, right? Um, it's uh, it's um, 
it's something that I think would make people sleep better at night knowing that their Bitcoin is safe. And uh, I want to build products that make it easier for people to do that. Um, and I firmly believe that, uh, you know, whether we see a huge bull run now or later that people should be considering what they'll, what they'll do when they reach certain thresholds where they are no longer comfortable having third parties custody their, uh, their Bitcoin or where they're no longer comfortable having it just, you know, um, you know, one hardware device in a safe in their house or something like that. Right. Um, and we want to help those individuals, those institutions that are going to, I think, inevitably run into this problem. And I think another key benefit that I see from the Unchained uh, suite is the like the collateralized loan option and the tax benefit. I think there's a big benefit there because many countries have capital gains tax laws, oh, meaning yeah. when you sell, you must incur that gain and pay tax on that. Mm -hmm. And so this, uh, this model of using a collateralized loan, now, yes, you're paying interest, Mm -hmm. uh, and there are certain conditions on that, uh, but can you elaborate a little bit on what that process looks like and, you know, what are some of the benefits there? Oh yeah, we've got it down here. Um, is, uh, it's really simple actually, right? Uh, if you're looking to, um, get dollars for any reason, we, we lend out dollars, us dollars. Um, we, uh, basically do a two to one, um, uh, collateral to dollars issued. So if you give us, you know, if it's $9,000 right now and you gave us 10 Bitcoin, we could, uh, uh, loan you up to $45,000, give or take a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, for, for that type of loan, what, what would happen is you would send a transfer to us. We would store it in a multi-sig, multi-institution, um, uh, environment where you have a key, we have a key and a third party, um, institution has a key that we talked to you about. And, um, then yeah, there's an interest rate where you're paying, uh, you're paying your interest in fiat, uh, to us that, um, we have, um, uh, contract between us where, uh, at certain levels of, uh, collateral to loan value, uh, you know, there are margin calls and things like that. But, uh, if it's staying steady, there are no margin calls. If it's going up, you can, you can take out some of your over collateralized, uh, deposits. And, um, it's a really good way for a lot of people to get, um, fiat liquidity without those tax repercussions. Um, it's one of our biggest businesses right now is actually the foundation of unchained. And one, one of the things that really attracted me to unchained was when I found out how they built that, right? They didn't do loans where you just send it to us and, uh, we took full custody over and it was just us, um, that, uh, or just unchained that, um, had access to that. They did it in multi-sig. They did it with third parties involved. They did it where the person taking out the loan could continue to monitor that address and their funds. Uh, I looked at that and thought like, these guys get it. Um, Drew and Joe who started this business and where the loans were the first product. Um, it was really impressive to me. And it was also because they did it the right way in my mind in the Bitcoin native way. Um, we were able to, you know, branch out into the vaults project pretty naturally, right? You know, the, the, the loan, uh, the loans are a vault with a different quorum of key holders and then contracts between us because of, you know, uh, the nature of uh, lending out the dollars. But when you go into the vault, it's the same thing, right? It's who has the keys, who has the majority control of the keys, or does anyone have the majority control of the keys? Because they did it the right way, we were able to expand into other services for people really naturally. Um, that was a huge turn on for me to see that someone was doing this in a way that really connected to me as 
a longtime Bitcoin holder that um, really cared that someone was doing this in a way that didn't mimic the banking system that we have now, but really respected what the Bitcoin holder would want out of a financial services company. Uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in that approach yeah. as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about... One thing I find interesting is like big Bitcoin holders might, they might not actually have to sell their Bitcoin, right? They can literally just borrow against it. And it, let's say they've got a profitable business idea, right? And yeah. so you could borrow against your Bitcoin, use, you know, uh, have generate a return out of that business, use that to pay off the interest. Mm -hmm. And then basically in doing so, not actually sell your Bitcoin, but still get some of the benefit out of having that Bitcoin, right? And it's just a, it's a huge, um, it's just a big benefit to that holder, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we have this little tagline that's on some of our t-shirts that friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin, right? And while that's a little bit silly and everything, I, you know, look, I want to, I want to build services where you don't have to sell your Bitcoin. I mean, that's a big step to take. And if we can avoid that and we can help people avoid that anyway, I want to be able to do that. And, you know, it could be investing into a new company. It could be paying down other, you know, debts that you have. It could be buying more, you know, uh, you know, the reason, you know, there are going to be many, many reasons to do that. But if you're Bitcoin rich and cash poor for any reason at any point in time, uh, that's a really good option to have to not have to forfeit you know permanently your ownership of that bitcoin look let's um bring it down you mentioned ownership of your bitcoin and i think that is really what people come to bitcoin for it's ownership right it's a elodial yeah. title as we were referring to before now i want to touch on what you're touching what you were talking about earlier with wyoming and having certainty over our ownership and our property right. So give us a bit of a background. What were you doing at Wyoming and, and the blockchain uh, task force? Yeah, uh, that was a really interesting uh, time. Uh, I, I joined in 2019. It, it had existed before 2018. So uh, as I talk about this, I want everyone to know that uh, all credit goes to Caitlin Long and Tyler Lindholm and the other legislators there. Tyler kind of had the, the vision for what they wanted to do in Wyoming and Caitlin really helped with the execution and a lot of the expertise in, in Bitcoin um, to make it happen. I, I, I was kind of a late joiner to that, but uh, hopefully contributed. Um, but what they did was phenomenal. I actually went in as a skeptic um, thinking that I had seen a bill that they had passed and gotten a little bit prickly about it. Just thinking like, oh no, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to work. And I wrote a letter to the uh, Secretary of State and said, uh, there's no way you can comply with this bill. And then, you know, one thing led to another and they actually named me to the task force. And I got there and I realized, oh, shit, you know, foot in mouth. These guys are doing phenomenal stuff. And they rewrote that bill that I got all prickly about. And it was fine. And what I learned there was that they had a certain mission, which was to it was, you know, to help the economic growth in Wyoming to make it a uh, attractive jurisdiction for companies to start their business in. And they were going to focus on this Bitcoin blockchain world uh, in order to <clears throat> attract a, you know, a growing um, industry. And I think they're, they've been very successful to date. Um, they've set the groundwork for this. And uh, my contributions were really bringing in some of my expertise and knowledge just over years of, um, of being involved in Bitcoin and also making sure that, um, that you know, while we weren't looking for, you know, the, you know, regulatory capture in any way, making sure that we weren't doing anything that I thought could harm Bitcoin and, and the growth of the industry in any way. Um, and it was kind of amazing. I, I, again, I give so much credit to the legislators in the state there. I mean, what they are doing is they are selling sovereignty. 
they're trying to create this environment that outcompetes outcompetes every other jurisdiction that says if you're uncertain in the state of New York, you know, if you're uncertain in Switzerland or in the UK, there's a place for you here. And some of the we did some really cool things. Um, I, I think uh, you know just to. Uh, uh, pick on probably the most prominent one, uh, the passage of the SPDI bill, the Special Purpose Depository Institution, which we all know, watching this space for a long time, that a lot of Bitcoin companies have difficulty dealing with the fiat world, with the banking system. They get cut off from banks. Uh, their customers go through all sorts of hoops or lose access to their banking relationships. Not just the company loses access, but individuals that use some Bitcoin companies would lose their relationship with their bank. It was kind of nasty out there for a while. And the SPDI bill gives companies, uh, uh, Bitcoin companies, kind of a seat at the table. Because when it, what a special purpose depository institution is, and this is fucking huge, sorry, it's huge, <laughs> is uh, that um, essentially you are a bank. You can get uh, membership into the Federal Reserve Group of Banks, and there are a hell of a lot of uh, privileges that come with being a bank. Um, now, they are non-lending institutions, right? So they are not under the um, jurisdiction of the FDIC, for instance. So it's not FDIC insured and stuff like that, but everything else besides the lending part, you are a bank um, and banks work with other banks um, and they don't really question each other very much. And um, that gives whether you're a custodian or a payment processor or an exchange, um, there are a lot of reasons why that type of corporate formation would be hugely advantageous um, next to you know, being a different type of corporation in a jurisdiction where you didn't know, or you didn't, you, you don't know if next year they're going to say, Hey, what you're doing is illegal and uh, we're going to cut you off. Um, Wyoming sort of taking the stance of saying, you know, we're going to write these laws with the input of the Bitcoin and uh, community, uh, in which I was really impressed with. Yeah, I don't know how government works for the most part. And I watched this happen. You know, we sit up there and I thought we were just going to debate amongst each other, you know, what type of bills we want to write. But no, it's like it's a table you're looking out and we have an agenda and the public just comes up and testifies and says, this is what we would like. This would this would this would make us move here. This would make us uh, certain that we can build our business in the way that we want to. And uh, then we consider it and we draft legislation and then they get to talk about and then we you know, show the public the, the legislation. They say, ah, you got this part wrong, right? Uh, uh, this is going to be a little bit onerous for us. Or, um, and then we change it. And then they say, great. And we put it up for a vote. And uh, I've been really impressed with the way Wyoming worked through this process. I think they've had a lot of success. And, um, you know, with SPDIs, I know that the applications for that type of formation are rolling in now. Um, and that's really impressive. And uh, it was it was fun to be a part of that. Right. Yeah. And so, are you, you you have you winded down your involvement now, or are you still involved? Um. So it's it's a little bit up in the air. But my understanding of this is that uh, you know they've gotten a little bit too big for me and uh, and citizens to be involved. So a task force is 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 a little bit different. Um, they can't sponsor their own bills. Uh, they'd have to you know we we we'd write legislation uh, and then send it off to another committee that, that when then, I know it's all crazy government stuff, but um, it's the way it worked. It's been so successful that they've gotten, I believe their own committee now 
which um, which can sponsor their own legislation, which means that um, uh, they can't have citizens on it. I'll still be going up to testify and uh, be a part of the public uh, commentary on it. We had a great group of people up there, um, great Bitcoin companies. Um, people like Trace Mayer were up there. Uh, Kraken was up there a lot. Um, there were just all sorts of people involved, you know, helping involve, uh, inform the process. We even took to Twitter. I remember one time um, when we were working on the, the custody aspects of of uh, one of the bills, um, you know, the Twitter world and Adam back and people got involved saying like, you know, if you write the law this way, then there's an attack vector on custodians where I, I, I believe the way it was written was that by law, you were going to have to um, give access to um, all forks, you know, within a certain amount of time. And then there was a bunch of Twitter uproar and, you know, um, to the legislators credit and Caitlin's credit, they took that feedback, they rewrote the bill, and within a few months, they had a new bill out there, and it was fixed. It was great. Um, right. Well, there yeah. you go. So, look, I think the broader lesson and hope there is that we see that, like, and has, as has been a theme on the podcast, is that competitive jurisdiction aspect. Where, yeah. You know, some other jurisdiction sees okay, that's what well, that's working out really well for them. We, we're going to try that as well. Yeah. And I actually, I want to, I want to talk to one thing because you, you'd open this up and I kind of missed this point of, you know, we're talking about ownership and, you know, the, not your keys, not your Bitcoin that relates to unchained and what we do. But in Wyoming, um, one of the bills that's actually up for a vote this month is around, um, uh, whether or not a court can compel you to disclose a private key. Um, and our bill proposes that uh, a court should not be able to compel you to disclose a private key. And that has a lot of implications that are really important. I remember Christopher Allen actually um, helped us a lot in drafting this legislation. And um, um, the reason that that's so important is that a private key could be holding a lot more than just Bitcoin, right? It could be holding more Bitcoin than someone needs access to. And the disclosure of that private key could be devastating, you know, um, for especially if an institution was forced to, uh, to disclose it. Now, you know, it's not an excuse to you know, not let people have, you know, if you're going through a divorce and you're just not trying to pay up your fair share, it's not to say that there's not still a claim on assets that that private key is protecting and that the court would have, you know, reason to demand those assets. But, you know, even in that case, someone could just refuse to, to show their private key and then be held in contempt. The idea is that <clears throat> there is a process now uh, on the, you know, on the books or, you know, at least proposed that, um, there would be a different, um, way to go through getting those assets than disclosure of a private key. Um, that's a really interesting and I think unique proposal that, uh, Wyoming's taking on that I haven't seen anywhere else and really does speak to, sorry, it speaks to, you know, I think a lot of people that hold Bitcoin and understand cryptography, but I also think that it speaks to Wyoming's, the extent that Wyoming's willing to understand uh, what will be attractive to um, institutions and individuals in the space. Uh, I think it's one of those things where it may, it may be like a story where we see some other country around the world want to also replicate that model and say, okay, well, look, it worked out for them. We should do that too. And, and then we, we can have real competition between the states of the world on a, at least on a way that is better for us as uh, you know, individuals, oh, yeah. as opposed to 
you know, pr- produ- uh, competing in the production of bads <laughs> as yeah. they do right now. And, that, and we see it happening already, right? And, Wy- you know, I'm glad that Wyoming is kicking everyone else's ass right now because that's part of our goal as the task force was to give us a head start. But, you know, we're not stupid. We've done some really good work and people are going to copy us. And it's happening. We hear from other states. We hear from other countries. Um, uh, uh, we had, uh, you know, the task force was always receiving these letters from, you know, it could be Bermuda or it could be Nevada or it could be Alaska. And uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff already has been copied. I think that um, it's going to take a while. I think Wyoming was really aggressive here. And so for any jurisdiction to catch up, they're going to have to do a lot of work, but we've seen bits and pieces of it already seeping into, um, uh, other, other places. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of competition, but I, uh, I'll, I'll put my money on Wyoming to, uh, outflank them uh, once again, once they've caught up to this point, uh, right. I don't, I don't think they're stopping. Uh, yeah. if you knew Tyler Lindholm, uh, uh, you know that, that they're not done yet. <laughs> uh, and I think the other thing that comes to my mind is when we get more Bitcoin holders, we're going to have a bigger voting base, if you will. Oh, yeah. And so there's going to be more people out there basically pushing their local representative, pushing their local politician, whatever country they're in, to have more Bitcoin favorable laws. What's your view? Yeah, I I want to take a roundabout way at this, which is, you know, I, I want to fully recognize that, you know, Bitcoin at its core is censorship resistance. It doesn't need what Wyoming is doing. It doesn't need what any of these jurisdictions are doing. It doesn't make it. That doesn't mean like, I, I respect that fact. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to make it easier and uh, and more friendly. Um, you know, it's better for all of us. Right. And yeah, I think that that's a, a big part of this is that, you know, as places like Wyoming, you know, God, it's such a big deal. It's a sovereign state and it's taking this very seriously and it's taking a very, uh, I would say, you know, not even, it's not even non-antagonistic. It's, 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 it's welcoming and opening up the doors to this industry in a way that, um, uh, if they're successful and the companies and the individuals are, you know, moving there, of course people are going to, are going to try to compete and that benefits all of us. And, um, it's fun to be a part of that. And I think that even though we know that Bitcoin doesn't need it, um, we, it's good to know that there are people out there like Tyler, like Caitlin and like the Wyoming legislature that are out there, uh, fighting that fight because it makes our lives a lot better. Mm, Yeah. And look, uh, one other topic I think would be interesting and, and it's kind of related so right now there's a big just like debate around you know Bitcoin privacy and so on right and mm-hmm. like should people use coin joining and so on and obviously that's that's a whole debate we don't need to get into that today yeah. but I, I think there might be some benefit just to consider and this is going to sound silly but just number go up right like just mm-hmm. the sheer number go up even if we don't have privacy just sheer number go up I think that drives a big change in the way the government's work and law works and just yeah, there will be so many more people who go and lobby their government and try and make sure that their government doesn't make Bitcoin illegal and so on and self-custody illegal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, as number goes up and as, you know, the, you know, it does, it does help that we have lots of prominent people that are connected to the government that actually hold Bitcoin. You know, these things matter in human societies uh, that have influence on how these things go. But, you know, not that we didn't want to get into coin joins. I think that stuff's inevitable anyway. We're not going to lose the privacy wars and stuff like that. Bitcoin will be fine there. And there's lots of great plans. And, um, you know, the the uh, after tap root and Schnorr, there's the, the 
the extensions of Segwit and stuff. We're going to get some cool stuff there. Um, but uh, so I, I, I'm not willing to throw in the towel and say Bitcoin will never have any privacy. Although I think you're right that it doesn't necessarily need to be that in order to succeed. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, number go up. I, you know, that's one of the things that uh, I only half jokingly was thinking about uh, when, uh, as part of the Wyoming task force was uh, well, if, if the goal is to, you know, uh, you know, uh, diversify the economy of Wyoming and be attractive to all these new companies and make, you know, why doesn't Wyoming, why doesn't the treasurer's office just buy Bitcoin? <laughs> right. right. And yeah. all, you know, can we write a law like that? You know, I'm so naive on this stuff. And, uh, and I talked around with a few people and was like, no, we, we can't really force them to do that. But, uh, you know, it is something that I've been talking actually, but now I'm serious. I've been talking to people that do have some influence in Wyoming about like, you know, who's the first sovereign to take a public position there and say, uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna hold Bitcoin on our balance sheet number go up. This is important to our future. Uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Right. Yeah. If it hasn't already, maybe it maybe it's happened in some country that I'm you know uh, ignorant of. But uh, you know, I think I think Wyoming could win that battle as well. Right. Yeah. So I think I mean the the you hear whispers about these things, and I mean you never really know, right? I saw some random article, but I mean who knows, right? Uh, but I think it just comes back to me that it's that we're just over this next few years, we're just going to see a massive you know sucking in of people and uh, talent and money and everything's just going to come into this because it just like if you're listening to this now in you know we're recording this in you know January 2020 you might be listening in like February 2020 you're early right oh yeah so it's it's like it's just so hard for us to explain that and there'll be so many more people to to get sucked into this industry and start working in it and owning bitcoin uh, i mean and for you as well i mean you had you had a good you had a great job in stack overflow mm -hmm. but you, you you chose to leave to come to a bitcoin company yeah uh do you do, what's your take on seeing you know, brain drain in the direction of bitcoin companies uh, i've been amazed by it like uh the more and more i've you know either through Wyoming or being a part of Unchained now and seeing the level of talent that's, you know, here at this company, technical talent, uh, business development, uh, client services. There are some really great people moving into this space. And, you know, I knew that on the protocol le level, you know, for a long time, I could see the level of talent there, but in the industry now, I think it's become so much more mature. You know, there aren't a lot of Mount Gox, you know, shops being built anymore. They can't compete. Bitcoin's more serious. And while, you know, everyone listening here, you are still early. Th there's a lot that's been de-risked for you, you know, over the last decade, right? Um, the types of services you have access to, whether unchained or otherwise, um, are immensely better than what we had access to in 2012, right? Um, especially around security. Um, and um, and uh, I, 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 what, what I've noticed is that when you put out a job listing, you know, for a company like Unchained, um, is that uh, the, the flood of talent from sort of traditional tech or traditional finance that will do just about anything to come work with a Bitcoin company because it's so much more fun, more interesting. The promise is so, uh, is so much greater than what they're doing right now, especially on the banking side, you know, gosh, how depressing is that right now? <laughs> uh, is, uh, you know, man, um, you know, right now we kind of get our pick of the litter. Um, it's really impressive. I've never seen anything quite like it. Yeah. It really feels like, uh, this is just a new frontier. And if you want to, you want to have a chance at, you know, 
big success and you know prosperity then you want to come to the frontier and be here and mm-hmm. uh, be knowledgeable about it and be in this space yeah um so look i think that's about all time uh, we've got the time for but uh did you want to just uh make sure you let the listeners know where to find you online and where, where they can find unchained capital oh yeah you can uh, find me at at will cole on twitter that's probably the best place no use going anywhere else twitter is the greatest online product ever created it is so great and that's where i spend my time uh and then unchained capital is unchained-capital.com uh you can find us there you um if you're wondering about multi-sig uh, we have a lot of good educational information there if you're wanting to go down the bitcoin rabbit hole from first principles uh check out parker lewis's gradually then suddenly series it's fantastic and um yeah well thanks for joining me yeah thank you stefan Hope you enjoyed that one. I've also got another interview coming soon that I recorded with Pierre Richard and Safedean. So make sure you subscribe to the Stefan Levera podcast. You can go to stefanlevera.com and find the show notes and the transcript. Otherwise, that's it from me. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.